Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the playoff win against the Raiders and a preview of the upcoming playoff game against the Titans. Tom McLevy's going to stop in for another McLevy minute. Sands is going to come by with his expert analysis. And Justin Lacey is also going to stop by with some great thoughts and analysis as well. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. What an amazing feeling. I didn't know what to do with myself after this game. I didn't know whether I was going to cry or scream or jump around or celebrate. It was just a state of shock. You know, I've been following this team for my whole life. And I was there for the 1990s. And I was there the last time that they won a playoff game. And to go, if someone would have told me that, yes, you're going to go 31 years with rooting for this team with all, all your soul, every fiber in your body, every weekend, your life is going to revolve around this team and its success. And if someone would have said, you're going to go 31 years until you get another playoff win, I wouldn't have believed it. But I'll tell you, I would have never stopped rooting for this team. And here it is. We got some payback as Bengal fans, and it's been a rough road for all of us. We follow this team so hard, and we've had a lot of losing seasons and a lot of disappointment and had a lot of good teams that you thought were going to go places, and then the playoffs would come and bad things would happen. And I just, I'm beside myself. It, it was almost like you think that when you get something like this, that you're just going to be joyous and the next few days are going to be ecstatic. But it, it was more of a shock for me, and I don't know how to how to express myself about it, but I was just in a daze. I was exhausted after this game. I was I was watching my TV from about one foot away the whole time, and I every fiber of my body was energized for this game and analyzing and hoping and, and wishing, and, and here it is. We get to enjoy this. We get to enjoy this amazing feeling, and no matter what happens from here, we won this playoff game. And we're going to be on track to be a great team for a long time. And you know what? This is the year. Our job is not done. You know, you climb a mountain, and then when you fall off the mountain, you realize you got to start all over next year and climb up again. Well, we're already three-quarters of the way up that mountain. So let's watch this team. Let's root. We have a game against the Titans that's winnable. And once you get past them, hopefully we get past them, we go to the AFC Championship game, and then anything can happen from there. Anything can happen when you have players like Joe Burrow, who is a culture changer for this team. Anything can happen when you have a coaching staff like this that's made all the adjustments and has been a positive reinforcement for, for this roster. Anything can happen when you have superstars at multiple positions, and you draft well, and you bring in free agents, and you have a great defense now, and you have skill players that are unrivaled by any tandem in the league. So again, the job's not over. We're going to be good for a long time. And I want to say thank you to Mr. Brown, to Mr. Tobin, to the coaching staff, to the players, and especially the culture-changing Joe Burrow. So where are we at right now? We're going to Tennessee. We're one game away from the AFC Championship. 
And I'm not disparaging Tennessee. They're a very good team. They're a strong team. They're a well-balanced and a well-coached team. And they're the number one seed in the AFC for a reason. But I would say out of the Titans, the Bills, and the Chiefs, right now, if I had my choice, I would want to play the Titans. So in addition to winning our first playoff game, I think we have the most favorable matchup in round two that we could ask for. All right, let's go on with some observations from the game. So as I said before, when I was watching this game, I was literally 12 inches from the TV the whole time. I used to have a Weimaraner, which is a dog named Axis. I had Weimaraners and a couple Dobermans in my life, and those dogs were amongst my best friends. They're very loyal, very intelligent dogs. So I used to play Frisbee with the Weimaraner all the time, and he was really good at it. He could catch anything. You could throw it 40 yards downfield. He would track it down and catch it in the air. But there was a look in his eyes, like when I was holding the Frisbee and he was right next to me waiting for me to throw it, his eyes were just so intense. He had this intense gaze, just like, go ahead, throw it. I'm ready. Go, throw it, throw it. And that's how I felt. That's how my eyes were watching this game. It was just, I couldn't take my focus off what was going on. I I felt like I had a helmet on and I was on the field with these guys. So again, to get a win like this is so gratifying. And you know what? We have... We have now clinched our 19th game of the season as Bengal fans, not counting preseason. But, you know, in seasons past, 16 games and you're done. Now we had a 17-game season. We were fortunate enough to get that 18th first game of the wild card. Now we're guaranteed a 19th game. You know, let's go a 20th game. Let's go a 21st game. I can't get enough of this team. I don't want it to end. All right, so the biggest trouble spot for us right now is our defensive line. Unfortunately, Larry Ogunjobi is out for the year with a foot injury. Mike Daniels is not going to be playing this game. He injured his groin right away, and that's a shame because he's been working so hard. If you watch social media, you see the workouts that this guy does, and he he was just dying to get his chance to go in there and prove that he's a star like he used to be. And unfortunately, that got taken away from him. So I'm hoping that he heals up, and I'm hoping that he's back for the AFC Championship and hopefully the Super Bowl. But as of now, we're not going to have him as well. Josh Tupo has a knee injury. Rennell Wren went out last game with an injury, so we're very thin at that position right now. We're going to have Reeder in there. We're going to have B.J. Hill starting. And it's looking like Tyler Shelvin's going to come up to the to the main roster for only maybe the second or third time this season. And Tyler, this is your chance. This is what you've been working for. You were inactive for most of the year, and now you're going to play when it counts the most, and you can really make your stamp, and you can solidify your place on this team and your career for the future. So the time is now. Make sure you're prepped. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're hungry and anxious, and go out there and and play the game of your life because we really are going to need you. So they're probably going to sign a defensive tackle off the street. They're going to need some help over there. We don't have anybody else on the roster. And it was it was a position that we had such depth at this year. I mean, with Ogunjobi and Reeder, we had the luxury of, of rotating in Hill and Tupo. And then we have great players like Daniels and up-and-comings like Wren and Shelvin on the practice squad. Like, that's how deep we were at this position. And then just a couple weird breaks, and here you are looking for people off the street to play a playoff game. It's crazy how that works. So I'm hoping that Reeder... And B.J. Hill can get a bunch of snaps. They're going to get tired during this game. I know we're going to rotate in Camp Sample as well, which is a good thing. He's been playing well. He had a lot of productive snaps this game too. So we're going to just have to hope that we can survive the war of attrition at this position and still be a a productive, successful defensive line. And facing Derrick Henry, which we are this week, 
And, you know, they have a couple, they have a really good running game. They have a couple good backs there. This is kind of bad timing to not have your top defensive tackles in there. But you know what? We do have Reader, we do have Hill, and we have the other guys that are going to get their shots. So we're going to see what happens. On top of that, Trey Hendrickson with the concussion is a major injury for us. You know, when he went out, the pass rush kind of went away. Hubbard had a great game, don't get me wrong. B.J. Hill had a sack. Everyone on the defensive line did their job. They contributed to a win. The defense only gave up one touchdown the whole game. So I'm not going to disparage anyone. They definitely all played well, but there was a big drop-off when Hendrickson went out of there, and I don't know his status for this game. You guys know how I feel about concussions. I like to see people sit out for two weeks before they come back because it's such a, a major injury for your body, for your brain, and for your future. You know, and as Bengal fans, we want to be like, no, get him back in there. We need Hendrickson. We need Hendrickson. But if you think about the human being, it's not best for his well-being to go out there and bang helmets with people for 50, 60 plays when he's coming off a concussion just a few days ago. It's just not good for him. And I don't know if any of you out there have had a concussion. I've had two in my life, and it's not a pleasant thing. It, the first one, I couldn't see straight. For for a day or two, it, my vision, it, it, I felt like my eyes were crossed. And that's just, you, it's hard to live like that. We just see concussion on a piece of paper or read it or read it online. And we think, all right, you know, it's a head injury. He'll be back. But when you really experience one of them, it's not a fun thing. And it, it could be a life-altering thing for these people, too, because a lot of these players have had concussions before or undiagnosed concussions. And they have to live the rest of their lives. And CTE is a very real thing. The second concussion that I had, I had headaches, really severe headaches for days. And you start losing a little bit of your common sense until you until you heal up. And, you know, for someone like me who's only had two in my life, I don't think that's really life-altering. But for these players, it's a different story. So, Trey Hendrickson, I, I want you back so badly for this game. But not at the expense of your health and your future, and your family. There's just more than football, unfortunately. And you guys know I live and die by the Bengals. I die off every snap. I'm so into this. I talk about this on my podcast. I spend hours and hours a week researching this team and talking about them and recording and editing. You guys know it. But I don't want to force this guy back in the lineup. Even though it's to our detriment as a team, it's just not the right thing to do. So you guys got to forgive my voice. I'm a little hoarse from the game. I'm not totally in full voice, so just bear with me. I know it's not as much fun listening to someone who sounds this way, but just roll with me because I got a lot of good things to say, and hopefully the content will outshine my vocal deficiency for this episode. All right, on to the game itself. I want to thank all those Cincinnati Bengal fans that were in attendance. Obviously, I'm in New Jersey. I, I don't go to the games regularly, and I, I don't. I may, maybe that makes me a bad fan in comparison, and I'm really sorry to the team. But you guys that are the diehards that are out there, that stadium was cold. That's, that's tough to spend your money, and, you know, there's traffic and lines and a lot of money, and it, it's... you. I'm so thankful for the fans that came out 66,000 strong and screamed their head off on every snap. It was so helpful. We got them to false start three times. We got them to take a timeout. We got them to have trouble with the play clock, and that's because of you guys. So everyone who was in attendance, I thank you. I wish I was there, and I didn't contribute half as much to this win as you. You know, they should make they should put 
a sign in the stadium. And every time there's a false start, they should give the fans five yards. And I would love to see how many yards that we accumulate as fans during the year. Let that be our stat. Let the fans look up and be the 12th man, as the saying is, and be like, wow, we caused 145 yards of of penalties to the other team. You know, that that's our stat. I don't know. It would be a fun thing. If anyone's listening out there from the Bengals organization, I know you are. It might be something to think about. I haven't seen anyone else do it, and it would be pretty cool. We'll, we'll call it like the fan yardage statistic. All right, so on to the refs. It's a nightmare. The and I, It's an unfixable nightmare. You're never going to get perfect officiating. It's an imperfect science. The game moves so fast. These guys are out there for 60 minutes. They don't get any breaks. It's It's tough. It's a tough job to have. And unfortunately, we see the results of that, that you just have imperfect officiating across the board all the time. Sometimes it goes your way. Sometimes it doesn't. You know I never blame the refs for a win or for a loss. But this crew was confused. There was some bad calls. There were some missed calls. I mean, that goes with the territory. And we all know the big call was the whistle. So first off... Joe Burrow didn't step out of bounds. I don't know why that ref was so whistle-happy to blow it. There was no need to. If, if he's right there, he's watching Joe Burrow's feet, you have to let that play out. And he was just so gung-ho to blow the whistle, unless it was just an accident, unless his breath got knocked from him and, and he blew it. I don't know. It was a really bad call for him to blow that whistle before. But I'll tell you, it didn't have anything to do with the play. And Raiders fans might think differently, but in all reality... That ball was almost in Boyd's hands when the whistle blew. And I know the rules are the rules, but I'm glad that the officials did the right thing. Because if it went the other way, if it went that they were going to not allow that play, that would have been more of a travesty than allowing that play. Because that play was happening regardless of any whistle. And you know what I've said before. There's fans that blow whistles too. And anyone who blows a whistle from the crowd in a stadium needs to be ejected and banned from the stadium. Because that could affect a game in a major, major way. So in this case, yes, we have our whistle gate. We got one. We got a call, right? The Jeremy Hill fumble, people say that his knee was down. You know, the Adam Jones, the other coach was starting with him in that playoff game, and he got the penalty, not the, not the Steelers bench. You know, so we've been on the opposite side of calls that ended our season. So in this case, we were on the positive side. You win some, you lose some. We're going to take the win. And I love the way that Joe Burrow and Coach Taylor said, I didn't hear a whistle, and then they give this sly grin. Just, it was cool, and you know what? That's the way it goes. We move on. The Raiders don't. End of story. It could have happened either way in this game. And they finally punished the officiating crew. Roger Goodell said that this crew would not officiate a playoff game ever again. So I like that. You know, there has to be some accountability, and that was the first step they need to develop a system of accountability, like I mentioned a couple episodes back. But this was the first step to say, no more. If you're going to make that kind of mistake, you don't deserve to be officiating big games. So on top of that, this crew, the the Khalid Kareem roughing call was not a roughing the passer. We know that. Sometimes it's hard to see from an angle. You see a higher hit and the quarterback's head kind of jerked back. You think it was an illegal hit. It wasn't. And then the only thing I did like about the officiating was they weren't calling a lot of pass interference. They were letting the defensive backs and the wide receivers play and wrestle and do their thing. So I like that. You know I hate games that they're just throwing flags on everything. Or if you have a quarterback late just in desperation, whipping it downfield, knowing that he's going to get a pass interference call, 
I, that's not football to me. I hate that brand of football. So that's the one positive thing from this officiating crew. But that's enough talk about the referees. Let's talk about the players and the schemes and the game. So the Bengals had a lot of chances to put this game away, and that was what was scaring me. You know, we jumped out to that early lead, 7-3. We get the strip sack, almost take it to the end zone, only get a field goal out of that. They make the big mistake on the kickoff return. I don't know what that guy was thinking. And their head coach is a special teams coach. That's even more egregious that he made that mistake and grabbed the ball at like the two-yard line and went out of bounds with it when it was going out of bounds anyway. That was like a 38-yard swing. And I know that guy feels bad for it. And I know the coaching staff probably came on, came down on him hard for that. But that was another opportunity where we had great field position after that. And we also got three points. So here it was. You know, we score the touchdown and we have two chances to really blow the game open. And we only get field goals. And moving forward in the playoffs, we can't let teams hang around like that. We were fortunate that we played a great game and called a good game. And we're a much superior team to the Raiders. But... I was worried. I was thinking, oh, you know what? That's going to burn us in the end. You know, when you have two gift touchdowns like that and you get two field goals, all it takes is one touchdown by the other team to totally wipe that out. So, you know, I was just in the back of my mind, a little pessimism was creeping in, and I was hoping that that wasn't going to bite us. And fortunately, it did not. As I said before, the defense only let up one touchdown, which is great football. And you look at our defense, they rally to the ball. There's a crowd of Bengals running to the ball all the time. So this defense is well coached, and it hustles. It hustles like everybody on this team, and it's making a difference, and it's winning games for us. Jermaine Pratt, you are a hero, my friend. You will never be forgotten in Cincinnati. This was your best year as a Bengal as it was. You're getting better and better as your career goes by, and then you make a huge play like this at the end of the game. You're going to go down in history. That's all I can say. Thank you, Jermaine Pratt. And so this game starts, the Raiders drive down for a field goal. It was good that our defense held them to a field goal, and then we answered right back with a touchdown. And we had a lot of five wides. We were running mixing on some pitches outside, which we very rarely have done this season. So very creative play calling. And I like that we came out in five wides and said, all right, you have this great pass rush. You better come quick because Joe Burrow's going to get the ball out in a second and a half. And it was working. I felt like we could score at will. You know, no matter what was happening in this game, when even when we were down 3 nothing, even when the Raiders were coming back in the game, I was like, it doesn't matter. When we get the ball, we're going to score. And it was like that. We scored, I think, on our first five drives. And scoring was not a problem for us. I mean, field goals instead of touchdowns, more than I would have liked. But it felt like, hey, if we needed a touchdown in the fourth quarter, there was nothing stopping Joe Burrow from that. And moving forward, that's, gonna, that's how it's going to be. I don't care the Chiefs, the Bills. I don't care the Packers in the Super Bowl. Whoever you want to bring on. Joe Burrow is going to put up points against anybody. And if you put him in a crucial situation, as we've seen in his high school career, in his college career, and in the NFL, he's going to come through. I have no doubt in that. So it's exciting to have an offense that can do that. That's how Tom Brady is. You know, if you we see him now with the Buccaneers, but when you watched him back with the Patriots, it was like, well, if he has the ball last in the game, they're going to win the game. And that's the same feeling I get with Joe Burrow. All right, so the game's moving on, right? We go up 13-3 to at one point after the touchdown and the two field goals that I mentioned, and then the Raiders start driving. And then we have Hilton with that beautiful pass breakup in the end zone. And then you have the, the Deshaun Jackson drop at like the five. I think Bates would have got him, but that was a close one, and that was a case of them not coming through when they needed to. And those are the things that hurt him. So then we go up 13-6, 
We get the touchdown to Tyler Boyd inside of two minutes. What I always talk about, you want to score inside two. You want to come out of the locker room and score. That's why you defer on the coin toss as well. So we had a touchdown inside of two minutes at the 151 mark to, to Tyler Boyd. We go up 20-6. to six. Raiders get the ball back. I'm like, we iced them. You know, we stopped them here. We're going to come out and score again. We're going to be up 23-6, 27-6. But the Raiders drive down. I give them credit. I give Derek Carr credit as well. So they score a touchdown with 13 seconds left to Zay Jones. Very contested catch. Apple almost knocked that ball away. But now here we are, 20-13 to going into the half. Now the Raiders are still in the game when it looked like we were just going to blow them away and, and really make a statement. So now second half starts, and what do we do? We work our way downfield to make it a two-score game, 23-13. I'm going to go over the plays in just a minute. But now you're up by two scores, and that's how it was the whole game. We're up by two, then they come back. Now we're up by one score, then we make it a two-score game again. It's like you just never let the other team get back in it. And that was that was the success of scoring before the half and right after the half. So defensively, coming out of halftime, the adjustments worked perfectly because they only scored six points the rest of the way. So excellent effort by them. Offensively, we slowed down a little bit. Granted, we only scored six points in the second half. But we did what we had to do. So here's how we came out in the first drive of the second half. And when I look at it, I'm going to just rifle through the plays, but what I really saw, the two things that I think they emphasized at halftime were we're going to run left with Mixon because most of the runs in that first drive were to the left, and they also said we're going to keep feeding Chase. And this list of plays is going to define what I just said. So here we go very quickly. It was an 11-play drive that took up about four minutes and ended up with a two-score lead for Cincinnati. Play number one, Mixon sweep left for 10 yards. Play number two, chase over the middle. That was a five-wide receiver set. Then we go play action, quick pass to Uzama for 10. Mixon toss to the left for five. A slant to chase for eight. Mixon left again for four yards. Illegal formation nullifies it. Then on the next play, we have Burrow dropping back. He was looking to the right side there, and it was just a dump off that was incomplete. Isaiah Prince was beat on that, so Joe didn't have a lot of time, and no one was open on the first look. The eighth play was a sideline pass to Chase, but the Raiders called timeout, which nullified it. I was really mad at the time. I thought it was a bad call, but then when I saw the replay, he legitimately did call timeout, so there's nothing we can do. There's no reason to complain about it. Ninth play was an incomplete go route to Higgins. They wanted to get him involved on that first drive. Tenth play was a dump off in the middle of the field to Chase, so that's the theme. It was mixing left and Chase, Chase, Chase. And then the last play was a 43-yard field goal by Evan McPherson, one of four on the day. So there it was, first drive of the second half, big success. So up 23-13, Hendrickson goes out of the game, Ogunjobi goes out of the game. Now our defensive line is kind of ravaged and we're kind of hanging on by a thread. I was hoping that it wasn't going to come back to burn us. It was one of those cases of, you know what, let's hope the clock runs out before our defensive line's energy and effectiveness runs out. And fortunately for us, everything worked out. So the Raiders drive down the field at the end of the third quarter. They're looking like they're coming alive. Unfortunately, they had a few holding penalties. We end up holding them to a field goal, which was huge. Now it's 23-16 Bengals. Then we get the ball early in the fourth quarter, and we have this great, long, time-consuming drive. We take it down to the 6.49-minute mark, and there it is. Joe Burrow left to make a decision. Are we going to run for it on fourth down and inches, or are we going to go up two scores? And from what I heard, the decision was left to Joe Burrow, and he didn't like what he saw. 
and he made the intelligent call, and there we go. We're up by two scores, 26-16 at this point. Then the Raiders come downfield again. Carr has some poise. Waller starts heating up. Josh Jacobs really starts heating up, so it's looking like trouble. Are we going to be able to stop these guys? They're at the seven-yard line. We end up holding them to a field goal to stay up 26-19, which ends up being the final score. We go three and out after that, and then the Raiders come downfield again. They got the ball with 151, and they drove down to the end of the game. The defense bent, as they say, but didn't break. We had those great last four plays to stop them. So exciting. They had three shots from the nine-yard line, and they couldn't get in. A credit to Lou Anarumo and a credit to the defense. I mean, every member of that defense stepped up when it was when it counted most, and they gave the Bengal fans a gift, and there it was, the win. All right, my voice is hanging on by a thread, but I can't stop now, so let's go over some key plays. The first big play was the touchdown to Uzama, which put us up 7-3. So basically, it was five verticals. You had a running back and a tight end, so it wasn't five wide. But everybody just did a vertical down the field. You had Pirine coming out of the backfield. You had Uzama just going straight towards the end zone. And Joe Burrow got decent protection. He had that quick release, and it was a perfect throw in traffic. There were two guys on Uzama and a third guy coming over. And he makes this contested catch in the middle of it. I mean, that's a big-time throw, and that's a big-time catch. So there it was, a touchdown to answer them right back and say, you're not taking the lead in this game. And that was the only lead the Raiders had. They jumped out 3-0, and Joe Burrow made sure that that fire was extinguished right away. And this was a big answer, and that got the momentum going. That got everyone's confidence going. And after this touchdown, I was like, we're just going to score whenever we need to. And that's what happened. The second big play, and when I go over the five big plays, three of them were defensive. So again, a tribute to the defense. So the second big play was the Hendrickson strip sack. They had a tight end blocking him, which we all heard on the TV broadcast. And he just lit up Moreau, got in there with that great tomahawk, a great move. And that's tough when your arm is cocked back like that and someone just comes down on it. Lucky Carr didn't get injured, but either way, the ball comes out. Joby scoops it up. He's not a speedster like Jamar Chase, so it was tough for him to get to the end zone. But he got inside the red zone. And that was a huge play in the game. I was hoping that we would have taken that in after that, but that's okay. Third big play was the Tyler Boyd touchdown with the whistle. But regardless of the whistle, let's think about what they did there. So you have Mixon in the backfield. You have Uzama as like an H-back. And you have three wide receivers. They had two guys on each side. Mixon releases to the right. Burrow avoids Crosby, climbs the ladder. There's still no one open. He scrambles to the right. And he makes that unbelievable pass off one foot. That's almost like a basketball play. You know how basketball players are are so good with reaching for a ball that's out of bounds and getting it back in without stepping out. Or you know how wide receivers can, you know, toe the line before they go out of bounds. Well, Joe Burrow did that. And on one foot, right before he goes out of bounds, he makes this beautiful crossbody throw and hits a wide open Tyler Boyd. By Joe Burrow buying that much time, the defensive backs can't cover that long. No one can. And it left Boyd wide open. And whistle or not, that was a great throw. And it was great on Tyler Boyd to not give up on the play. And as I always say, find your quarterback's eyes. When there's a scramble drill, you find your quarterback's eyes. You get to an open spot, which isn't hard, because no one can stick with someone as you go side to side, you know, repeatedly across the field. And Tyler Boyd did exactly what he should have done on that play. And he was rewarded with a touchdown. And we were rewarded with a huge play in this game. 
The fourth big play was Jesse Bates knocking that ball away from Renfro. They were going to be totally downfield on that play. It was it was a nice throw. He made a good catch, and then Bates catches up with like great speed, timing, long arm, and just punches it out at the last second. I mean, I thought they were going to rule out a catch. It could have went either way. It was so close. We got the call, but that was an amazing effort by Jesse Bates. And that's another thing that you do as a defensive back. You might not get the ball before it gets to the receiver, but wait till it gets in his hands and then hit his hands or hit the ball. Like, that's such good technique, and that's what Jesse Bates did there. And that was a big game saver as well. And the last big play was the heroic interception by Jermaine Pratt. The crowd went crazy after that. It was just such a great moment in Bengals history that, again, we'll never forget. So the Raiders had bunch formations on the right and on the left. And I don't like what they did there. They didn't, by the design of the play and the formation, you thought that Carr would have a lot of options. But they send their best receiver, Waller, out, like on an out and up to the right. And he was kind of out of the play. Renfro just did a, a crossover to the left, wasn't even a factor in this play. And then you get Zay Jones with like a, a turnaround, not even in the end zone. And Apple's covering him really tightly. He might have slapped that ball away. Pratt drops back perfectly, makes a great all-hands interception on a bullet pass. That's not an easy interception. Hey, we would have been grateful if he just slapped the ball away. But for him to be able to snag that ball out of the air, I mean, that's a special play. It's tough as a defender. We, we get on defenders, and I've gotten upset with some of our defensive backs for dropping key interceptions over the years. But it's hard when you're not expecting the ball. As a defender, you know, sometimes that sneaks up on you. And it's not something that you practice as much as the offensive guys. Maybe I'm making excuses. But either way, to see a defender, a linebacker especially, pluck a ball out of the air at that velocity with all hands is a big-time play. And Jermaine Pratt, you rewarded us, and we're going to reward you with endless loyalty. All right, I'm going to quickly rifle through some individual performances. Joe Burrow, absolute leader. The intensity is unrivaled. He is our version of Tom Brady. The poise, the accuracy, the quick release, the velocity, the decision-making, all the throws and the chemistry with Chase. He was throwing bullets. He was throwing touch passes. He was throwing back shoulder throws in key moments. The touchdown pass to Uzama was a great throw. The best throw of the day was that seam route to Uzama where he just puts it over. The defender has his back turns, and he just put perfectly puts it over his shoulder. Great catch, but, I mean, a Hall of Fame throw there. We're seeing a lot of those types of throws out of Joe Burrow, and it's exciting because this is just the tip of the iceberg. You have the scramble pass to Boyd. He was smart all game throwing the ball away and not forcing it. He makes the great decision to go up two scores rather than try a quarterback sneak. He took some smart timeouts. And remember, he's doing this with a dislocated pinky, that throat contusion, which is probably still slightly lingering, barely recovered from a left ACL, a right knee sprain. You know, we heard, we heard about Baker Mayfield and all those injuries all year. And, you know, those were significant injuries as well. But Joe Burrow is, you don't even hear about his injuries. We forget that he's been banged up like this because he doesn't say a word. He just goes out there and plays, and he plays like Joe Burrow, and he plays like a champion. Mixon ran well. He didn't have a lot of holes, but he kept at it, ran hard. He banged into Diablo on that play and and knocked him out of the game. That's what we always say, that guys do not want to tackle him. And that was a perfect example, and that's a little message He made some receptions out of the backfield, which contributed. He had that huge one-yard run for the first down early in the fourth quarter when there was nothing there. It was just all will. So Joe Mixon 
you know, I never congratulated you on the Pro Bowl, nor did I congratulate Chase or Hendrickson, but congratulations. And again, you're, you're playing like a Pro Bowler and like an All-Pro. P. Ryan is worth every penny. I mean, what can I say about him? He's just there whenever you need him on offense, on special teams, blocking, key carries, key receptions here and there. It's just a, an excellent player to have. I hope they keep him on the roster for the long haul. Wide receivers, Chase is just an absolute superstar. He is so electric. It is so exciting when he gets the ball. The speed, the strength, the route running. He's got good hands, too. I know he had that drop on that first play, and we're all like, uh-oh, playoff jitters. Nah, that was gone. He made so many big plays in this game, and he's a major reason why we're going into the playoffs and beyond. They used him on running plays, and he, he said late hands was something that they said during the broadcast, and that means that you're not putting up your hands too early so the defender knows the ball's coming or can swat at you. You bring your hands up kind of at the last second, so it's a shock that the ball's even there. So just an intelligent player and an absolute, absolute superstar. And Boyd and Higgins didn't have that active of a game. Tyler Boyd had the huge touchdown and a couple other grabs. Higgins only had a catch or two, but you saw him doing his part in there. He was blocking, wasn't complaining, was getting just as excited about the guys that were getting the ball. And he knows his turn will come. Who knows, next game will be a 100-yard game for T. Higgins. So the fact that these guys are such team players and the three of these, you just never know who's going to be the superstar for the game. So excellent work on all them. Uzama probably had his best game as a Bengal. The huge touchdown pass, the huge catch on the seam pass. It just seemed like when it mattered most, and he's been like this all season, when you need a catch, Uzama's making that catch for you and getting some yards after the catch. He does the icky shuffle after the touchdown. He wears the classic Rodney Holman jersey after the game. Just a really good team guy to have, and it's all coming together for him. He's got no doubt that they're going to the Super Bowl, and you know what? I'm kind of feeling the same way, CJ. Offensive line did great. Burrow got hit five times, got sacked twice. It wasn't a perfect effort, but that's a tough defensive line. Jonah Williams had his best game as a Bengal. We didn't even hear Ngakwe's name during the broadcast. He just totally locked him down. Excellent game from Jonah. I hope this is the tip of the iceberg. You have arrived when we needed you the most, Jonah. Thank you. Quentin Spain is so good, and that continued in this game. And you know he's not 100% on that ankle. And there he was holding down that side. That left side of the line was incredible. They keep playing like that. We're not even going to have to address that side of the line in the offseason. We can focus on the other side of the line. Hopkins had a good game, a strong game. I thought Adenogy played well. He wasn't perfect, but he played well. Isaiah Prince was excellent. I know he let up a pressure. I know he let up a sack. He was not perfect, but he doesn't have a lot of experience. He's He was a sixth-round pick. No one expected anything out of him, and he's facing one of the hottest and best defensive ends in the league. He did a great job this game. Offensive line, you were a major reason why this offense was moving the ball so well. Please keep it up. If you keep it up, we're going to win the Super Bowl. We talked about the defensive line and the injuries and, and the trouble for the future, but for right now, good game by them. Hubbard had a great game, maybe his best game. He was stout against the run. He got the pressures. He had the goal line sack. He had the helmet tip. Just totally active, totally pumped up. And again, we're seeing these players play their best when, when it matters the most. And that is a championship team. You know, how many times you see a guy who has a good year and then the playoffs come and he disappears or his nerves get the best of him. We're having guys rise up to the occasion when it matters the most. This is such an exciting thing. 
B.J. Hill filled in well. He got a sack as usual. He's going to be starting next week. That was exciting. Hendrickson was a monster when he was in there. He had the strip sack. He had a tip ball. And I like his toughness. We didn't even know he had a concussion. He wasn't laying on his back in a daze. I never saw it happen. He just came off the field and was probably like, I got my head banged. They took him into the tent and said, you're not going back in the game. But what a warrior and the greatest free agent acquisition that this team has ever had. And he's contributing major to this playoff run. And I hope to see him back soon, not too soon. But you know what? We'll need him for the AFC Championship game and for the Super Bowl. Ogunjobi played strong until he was injured. Reader had a quiet, solid game, as always. A big reason why this defense is successful. So it's going to be nice to have him healthy in their next game and doing his thing against Derrick Henry and that great offensive line. Linebackers, Wilson seems like he's getting back to normal. He showed his range and tackling that he was showing early in the season, so he's kind of getting back into action at the right time. Jermaine Pratt was active. He had the interception, a tackle for a loss. He had some good coverage on Waller, and again, he was the hero of the game ultimately. Defensive backs, Jesse Bates is another one, his best game as a Bengal. When you think about it, long-term Bengals, well, long-term in the grand scheme of things, Jonah Williams' best game as a Bengal. Hubbard, best game as a Bengal. Uzama, best game as a Bengal. Bates, best game as a Bengal. I know I sound repetitive, but it's true. These guys are standing up when it matters the most. Bates had that Renfro play. He had three pass defense. He had the pass defense in the end zone. He was making plays all over the field, tackling. So it'll be nice to get him in the fold and a contract for the long term because he showed when it matters most, he's going to be there for you. Hilton was great against Renfro. Another great game by him. He had a pass defense in the end zone. He was in the offense's backfield constantly. He also had that big pass breakup on the first drive by the Raiders. You know, they were driving pretty well. That could have been a touchdown drive. And there was that third down knockaway, and, you know, that made them have to kick a field goal. And when Jacobs broke away for that big run, he was he looked like the fastest guy in the field, Hilton running him down from behind. And then he hurts his ankle, comes back in a couple plays later, playing hurt playing like a star, just a great acquisition. Flowers played admirably against Waller. I mean, it's hard to contain that guy. Flowers wasn't perfect, but he wasn't an absolute liability either, so that's good. Hopefully his game grows because we're going to need him to cover some tight ends moving forward as well, especially if we play the Chiefs and especially if we play the Bills. Eli Apple had a good game. I know he let up the touchdown, but he almost knocked that away. He's really been showing up and proving that he wants to remain on this team and stay with a winner. And his effort over the last half of the year and even in this game is showing that he's someone that we can count on as being a reliable starter. I mean, they didn't even need Waynes for this game because of Apple or for the last couple games. Awuzie, another incredible game. You barely hear his name because he's barely letting up any passes, making the tackles when required. Just another stellar pickup. You didn't hear Von Bell's name as much as normal, but he had a consistent game. And lastly, on to the special teams. Evan McPherson, four field goals. You know he's playing hurt. I was worried about him in this game. I was hoping that he wasn't going to overkick on a kickoff or have to kick a long field goal, re-injure the groin, and then we would be without him for the game and future games. But it looked like he got through it healthy, set a couple Bengals records for scoring in a playoff game. Just an amazing game by him as well, and again, when we needed it the most. And it was another one. When he's out there kicking, you're like, he's not going to miss this. And if it came down to a game winner, you know that we would be totally confident in him going out there and making the kick. So an excellent acquisition, and he's contributing major to this team's playoff run and beyond as well. 
The kick coverage missed Stanley Morgan out there, I have to say. that We did let up that one kickoff return to the 40-yard line. Aside from that, pretty solid. Clark Harris, perfect again. Huber with a decent game. So there it is. I don't know what else more to say about it. I'm on top of the world right now. I hope you are too. Let's keep going. The mission is not over. We're three quarters of the way up that mountain. Let's take it all the way. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Frankie, like every other Bengal fan, ecstatic. It's been a long time coming, and I know we suffered through a lot. And, you know, this is our week to say, hey, you know, things went right for us. That's right. That's right. I mean, I can't, I, offhand, I can't remember how many years it's been since they want to play. Oh, oh, 31. That's right. Because all game, that's all they kept saying. If he said that 5,000 times, that's not enough. Because just for them winning that game show, there's people can shut up about it. That alone is a victory. Listen, the team, to them, they're one for one. They had no idea other than the media telling them that the Cincinnati Bengals haven't won in 31 years. Zach Taylor put it perfect. This victory is for the fans and for the city. They can exhale now. The guys in the locker room, that didn't matter to them one bit. And it's true. These guys have them, most of them, if not all of them, weren't born yet. So finally, we can stop hearing about the, the 31 years since the last play. Other than next week, we'll hear they won their first game last week, the first one in 31 years. So until I guess next season, we'll we'll stop hearing about it. But what a what a victory! Like every other Bengal fan, I'm sure there were tears in the eyes because they were in mine. I mean, as long as Joe Burrow is healthy and running this team, we are going to be qualifiers for the Super Bowl every year because we are just going to get better and better. What this team has done this year, and like we said, Frank, going into it, well, they, you know, we, we set some things that maybe the has the coaching staff has to do well you can't just have like six wins you gotta have more like nine ten wins check you know you gotta beat your division rivals check you know you gotta compete for the AFC Northern Division to show us that this team is for real check you gotta now make the playoffs and be respectable and you know, Frank, going into this game, the Raiders had a hot hand. They won that big game. They had a win. They made the playoff. That's a team that you get scared of. The hot team coming in. And with the Bengals resting their players in the last game, you know, you can understand why, but it cost them a seeding. But they still went ahead, won the game, check. I feel a lot confident going against Tennessee than playing Kansas City. So it actually worked out in my estimation of sitting those guys and losing that spot. I don't trust Tannehill. They're going to try and force 
Henry into the offense. He's been out for a while, and that might get them off sync from being off a week. The Bengals are hot now, so they played that extra game. I feel a hell of a lot confident going into Tennessee and winning that game. But if they if they lose, Frank, our season was a total success, in my feeling. This is a year early, what's going on here, I feel. And sky's the limit next year with more guys coming in. You feel confident in a way maybe they're drafting guys. And, you know, Mike Brown... Got dividends on his money he spent on defense. So maybe now, as a team, we'll say, now we got to throw it at the offensive line. The offense is set with the playmakers for years to come. So, Frank, like you and every other Bengals fan, who day, baby? X's and O's with Sands. All right, we're here with Sands. Sands, how are you today? I'm doing amazing. How are you doing, Frank? I'm feeling the same way. What are your thoughts and emotions after that huge win? Oh, I mean, just so emotional to get the win like that. It's been so long in the making. I'm only, I'm only, I'm only 25. Going to be 26 in a few months. It's like I've never seen them win a playoff game. So, <laughs> this to me, I've watched the eight that or the seven that they lost in a row with Marvin, but I didn't, I've never seen them actually win. And uh, I mean, I I was on the floor just full of emotion. So happy uh, that they were able to pull it out because man, I mean, they really made us sweat it out. It wasn't like uh, we knew they were going to win and just the final five minutes were a celebration. It was like down to the last second. So great win. I'm sure every fan pretty much feels the same way where it's just very, very exciting. I am with you, and and I'm the same way. If someone asks me how I feel, it's tough to put it into words after that. It's just it's just a great overall feeling that we finally got over the hump, and we're going to move on, and our season's going to continue, and we have a shot to go deep into the playoffs, and you, you just never know. Sims, in this game, it, it looked like we could have pulled away a couple times, and we ended up going for field goals. What what happened, you know, kind of mid game where we where we couldn't get the momentum to totally put them away? Yeah, it's tough because they the Raiders' defense before this playoff game was pretty bad in the red zone. Like, they were giving up a lot of touchdowns compared to field goals. But it looked like they kind of changed things, and they played a little bit of drop-eight stuff and tried to only rush three on Burrow, which played more guys into the coverage, worked to their advantage, and kind of threw them for a little bit of a loop. But it got them a couple times. The Bengals were able to score two touchdowns at least, but... If they turned any of those field goals into a touchdown, I mean, we're looking at a game that was probably out of reach towards the end there. Like, they're trying to get the touchdown to get within another score instead of getting the touchdown to tie the game. Hard to tell exactly what was the issue, but it feels like they just flooded the field with uh, defenders for coverage, and it made it hard for any receivers to get open. You know, a lot of people are giving the offensive line credit for an excellent performance, I know that you're a specialist in that field. How did you feel overall about the way the line performed and any individual performances that were good and or bad? Yeah, individually, I mean, the left side of the offensive line was stellar, stud, rock solid, 
Anything you want to say? Yannick Ngakwe had no effect on the game against Jonah Williams, and then Quentin Spain took care of business against his guy. Trey Hopkins was always going to have an easier assignment against the Raiders because they, they play what's known as a even front, usually an over, and uh, that puts nobody head up over him, so he's mostly helping out, but he did a great job doing that, and him and Burrow did a good job sorting out protections. The right side's where it got a little dicey, but I will say I was very impressed with Isaiah Prince in the first half. He gave up two maybe i think two pressures in the first half and i mean i think one of them turned into that sack so that sucks but uh still only two pressures in the first half in a game where i mean riley reef couldn't handle max crosby at all and he was left on the island a lot and he was handling him and i was i was impressed by him and then i i made the mistake of talking about it and then he has a pretty poor second half so next time i'll try to be quiet until the end of the game (laughs) so I don't jinx him, but uh, yeah, he, pretty good first half, admirable job, and then the second half was rough and what we kind of expected, but Adenogy is not completely absolved of blame either because he also struggled a bit with uh, with protection, and I don't know if they were, it's hard to tell on the, on the broadcast angle how well they run block, but I feel like it wasn't that good. I remember a third and one where Nixon had to make like three guys miss just to pick up the first down by inches. So I think overall it was a better performance than they, than most, especially national media would have thought they'd give against this Raiders front. But I mean, in pass protection, I'd say good. In run blocking, I'd say needs improvement. And I mean, that's kind of the story of the year for them. You know, good points too. And, and I, I was feeling the same way about Isaiah Prince. I thought I was very surprised in the beginning that he was holding Crosby so well. But, you know, when you have a player of that stature, eventually he's going to break you down, and I think that's just what happened naturally. Out of Tennessee, Kansas City, Buffalo, would you say that we faced our toughest task for the right side of our offensive line as far as Crosby goes, or do you think that those other three teams might provide a tougher run for Isaiah Prince? <laughs> I mean, you love the Steelers, but they are actually the, the toughest one, obviously, with T.J. Watt lining up over the right tackle like every snap. So uh, Buffalo, I don't think, has an all-star pass rusher on the level of Max Crosby. As a unit, they're all solid dudes. Uh, that's that's the issue more, that all four of the guys that are going to rush the passer are pretty good, and they're better in coverage than they are rushing the passer. So they're, they're usually hold on to the ball, and we have – two awesome safeties a lot like the Bengals and then one elite cornerback and then a bunch of good players so I wouldn't be too worried about the right side of the offensive line against Buffalo against Kansas City the worry isn't necessarily the right tackle but the entire interior and we already saw this with Chris Jones who I mean had a monster day against the Bengals I think like seven eight pressures ripped a nameplate off of Joe, got a sack. So that's the issue there, is trying to block one of the best interior defensive linemen. And then Tennessee, they're a little bit in between the two. They've got solid guys, but then they've also got guys like Jeffrey Simmons who are not Chris Jones level, but the next tier down where he shouldn't get nine, ten pressures in a game and really wreck the game. But he could get five or six similar to what Crosby did, especially if he gets – if he's winning the battle against uh, Hakeem Adenogy. So, yeah, I I think Tennessee and Kansas City are the ones you'd really have to worry about pressure-wise, although I think, especially with Kansas City, the Bengals, just because they've shown it already, that they they should be okay handling it. I mean, some of that was Burrow wizardry, but some of it is that they do better against teams that have to set – or 
not have to, but Steve Spagnuolo grew up as a defensive coordinator underneath uh, Jim Johnson for the Eagles, who loved to blitz. And it's just in his DNA. He's We saw it in the game. He's going to blitz. It doesn't matter if it's the right call, but he sees uh, it was third and 27. He threw a zero, cover zero, man blitz like nobody deep against them. Like, yeah, that's uh, not a good call, but uh, it's just you can't change your stripes as a defensive coordinator. So I think I'd order them. Buffalo is the least worry than Tennessee and then Kansas City. All right, Sands, let's quickly move on to the defensive line. Assuming that Ogunjobi is not going to be playing the next game and Hendrickson's status is up in the air, what would you do schematically to protect our defensive line and make them as productive as possible? Oh, this is where you want to face Tennessee, in my opinion, because they have the quarterback that'll escape the least amount of sacks. And even though Tannehill's mobile, he's just not big and as improv heavy as the other two. So... If you face Tennessee, they love the boot game and stuff off of that. So it's a great week to send some Von Bell and Mike Hilton blitzes. And that's how you can kind of generate a little bit of a pass rush, uh, blitz them off of the edge and tell them, like, you're not responsible for the run. You're just responsible for the boot. Like, go hit the quarterback when he tries to boot out of there. So, yeah, um, I'd say hope Hendrickson comes back. But, uh send some I mean that's why you bring Mike Hilton in right he did an awesome job in this game against Renfro but the reason you brought him in isn't specifically his coverage skill it's because he has an ability that's I mean on parallel with defensive linemen for how he times up snap counts and uh, hopefully we see some of that if uh, they don't have their number one and number two pass rushers if we're down a couple starters what do you do about Henry Henry, I'm less worried about than I am uh, the pass rush because you still have DJ Reader, who's one of the best run-stopping nose tackles in the league. You still have BJ Hill, who's very good against the run. You've got the same linebackers. Hubbard's very good against the run. You need somebody to step up in Hendrickson's spot. Hopefully that might be like a, a Cam Sample or a Khaled Kareem. I think Sample might be the better run defender, but Kareem's probably the better pass rusher of the two. And, I mean, you got to hope Henry's not 100%, right? Because uh, if he's going down to easier contact than normal, then that's another way that it helps out to stop him. But, yeah, I mean, it's a rough one. And Ogunjobi and Hendrickson are more pass rushers, but they're still they're still decent against the run, and they're probably better than the backups against the run. So, really, it's, it's hoping that Henry's not 100% there yet. I mean, that's possible <laughs> with how fast he's coming back. And then it's just, you need a good performance out of somebody like Cam Sample. All right, well, Sands, it was great talking to you after this glorious win. And, uh, you know, we'll check in again next week. How do people find you on social media? You can find me at Bengals underscore Sands on Twitter. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? Blissful. Um, I'm, I, the worst cannot describe the amount of things that I'm feeling right now after seeing that big-time playoff win. I waited my whole entire life for this, and I, I'm, I'm doing so well, Frank. How about you? I'm doing the same way, my friend. And, I mean, you already touched on your thoughts and emotions, but, you know, what was going on inside your head during this game, after this game? And, you know, it, it's been a long time coming. What are your thoughts? <laughs> 
Oh, it definitely was a long time coming. Like I said, I'm I'm just riding a wave of just great emotions right now. But my thoughts during the game, well, before the game, I felt like the Bengals were always the better team. I felt like they should have always gone in with this business-like mentality to show them that the Raiders, you were really the overachievers this whole entire time, and we were the underachievers. I made the equivalent statement that the Bengals were a two seed that were disguised as a four seed, whereas the Raiders were a five seed, but they were really a seven seed. And my only reason for saying that is because there were games throughout the regular season that you and I, Frank, touched on and that the Bengals should have won, like against Green Bay, against the Jets. And, you know, we can also make the argument against the Chargers, but that's all meaningless now. You know, our record is what it is now, but it just felt like the Bengals were better than their record indicated. But it also felt like the Raiders' record were worse than they indicated. They had a lot of lucky breaks during their four-game stretch. But during the game and during, going down to the wire, my stomach was turning in knots a bit. But Jermaine Pratt, you know, he's going to be another hero in Cincinnati for a long time. He pulled out the W-4s with that game-sealing interception. And it's just released a whole weight of emotions, you know, for me. So it was great. I know you're living in Cincinnati. How was the city after the game? Man, the city was rocking. And even before the game, uh, the night before the game, I was downtown in the city and I was just partying up with the fans. And it was just great. It was a great atmosphere. It was so incredible to see all of the people just be out sporting their black and orange attire, whether if it was a jersey, whether if it was merchandise from other local fans. It was just so incredibly fun to watch. And then the city was just on fire in the game. The stadium was electric. I, I saw a report that, uh, the Bengals had a record attendance in Paul Brown Stadium for this playoff game. And then after the game, it didn't stop there. It wasn't like that. We won the game. We feeling ourselves and then, you know, go get it, go home, go to traffic. The whole entire streets were just packed, flooded full with fans. And it was just so fun to watch. And I was just soaking it all in. Like, we did it. We're here. And this is the moment we've all been waiting for, especially the young millennial fan base that never experienced this playoff win. My heart goes out to them because I am that person myself that never seen a Bengals playoff win in my lifetime. And just to see the fans just celebrate, cigars lighted up everywhere you go, it was such a pleasure to watch. I'm glad that you got to experience it and share that with the listeners. Did you have any moments of doubt during it? Like, oh my God, is this going to be another, you know, letdown where we let them back in, go into overtime? Like, what were your thoughts as far as any, any pessimistic things that may have been going on? Well, PTSD from years of playoff droughts that we've had started to creep back in my head. I'm not going to sit there and lie about that because when the Raiders start just chipping away with field goals and field goals and field goals, it just started making me think like, oh, my goodness, are they going to come back and tie this game? Because the defense was getting tired. Injuries started happening to the defensive side of the ball, especially that defensive line. Josh Jacobs, he was – he was getting amped up and ready to run the ball. And I thought to myself, man, if this game goes into overtime, it will be just like so old-school Cincinnati where they'll get they'll send this game into overtime and they'll win the coin toss and go right back down the field again and then probably get the game-winning touchdown. I, those thoughts were creeping in my head. I'm not going to sit there and lie. And I had to simmer myself down to the point where it's like, no, this can't happen. We've waited too long for this. And even when the Raiders were driving down – um, and they scored, they converted a third and 17, which was, I couldn't believe that they left Darren Waller open in the middle. Like, that was a great catch. Like, Darren Waller made an incredible catch. But once it, once it was fourth and goal from where the ball was spotted, I just kind of already thought to myself, like, 
this has got to be the win here. This is going to be the moment where we just win the game. And man, Jermaine Price sealed that win, and I think that's what kind of enjoyed that incredible built-up moment. It's like you thought it was going to be like this, but really it was like this. And I think that's where the moment where it's like, yeah, the Joe Burrow effect really hit this team, even on defense, special teams, it didn't matter. The Joe Burrow effect is real. And, you know, it's a good point that you bring up the Joe Burrow effect. How do you feel this team is different compared to the Carson Palmer days or even the Andy Dalton days? Well, Joe Burrow is willing to go to war with his teammates. He is willing to go ahead and get the tough yards, even if it's got to be by himself. He has that mentality that he shares with the with his locker room teammates that I don't care what it takes to win this game, we're going to win this game. Even if I throw for 200 yards or 140 yards like he did in the first meeting against the uh, Raiders, he's going to do whatever it takes to win the game. And if it be because that one – and I think that the teammates just sort of feed off of that. They, have that, they kind of share that same mentality as well too. T. Higgins only had one catch in that game. But we know T. Higgins is a threat. But they didn't need to unleash T. Higgins in the way that they needed to. Compared to the Carson Palmer and Andy Dalton days, you didn't really get that feeling from them two. Now, I understand Carson Palmer was really talented as opposed to with his arm strength. But it almost sometimes came off that Carson Palmer had a little bit of entitlement attached to his name based off of where he, his background, where he came from. That You didn't really feel like that he really had to work extremely hard and go through so much adversity. And I'm not saying I don't know I don't know his life. I mean, I know he could have battled some adversity there. But his football career, you know, from a young age, like, he didn't feel like that it was really similar on, on par to Joe Burrows. And same with Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton really just, he was solid. He was always good. But he was you just knew that he was never going to break through and be great. And I think that's the major difference that Joe Burrow just, he can put it all together all in one. And he's just going to just fight for his teammates. And I think that that's what the teammates love about him. And it's it shows it literally shows on the field. I totally agree with that analysis. That's that's a really accurate breakdown of what Carson Palmer was and what Andy Dalton was. I respect them for their service, but I think that we have our guy now that's that's gonna take us to where we need to go. So Justin, what what kind of message would you give to A the fan base and B the team? So I'll start with the fan base. I'm gonna give you a fun fact here before I start with the overall message. Fun fact, and this is a C.J. Uzama stat here. C.J. Uzama caught Joe Burrow's first touchdown pass in the NFL last year in Week 2 against the Browns. He also caught Joe Burrow's first playoff touchdown last night. And that was just a fun stat that I like to, you know, implore because people forget about C.J. Uzama all the time as being a legitimate weapon. (laughs) And the Raiders actually saw the hard way that you can't, I mean, he was really covered on that touchdown pass, but C.J. was never letting that touchdown pass get dropped. It was it was never going to happen. Um, but my overall message to the fans is that this is what we've been waiting for. I understand that this was a layer of a layer of doubt was removed when we beat Kansas City here at home. But there was always still that pillar of, of doubt that was right there that the fan base believed that uh, the Cincinnati Bengals just may just you know build us up for so long to ultimately just disappoint us. That doubt is no more. We can hang with literally any team in the NFL and be better than they literally any team in the NFL if we truly believe that. That's my message to the fans. Like, get ready for a fun ride. This is a team that is not just saying that, oh, they're just happy to be here. No, this team is on a mission to actually make a statement to the entire league that we can make a Super Bowl run ourselves too. And now 
people are going to start to believe that after that first playoff drought has been officially eliminated. As far as to the team, I can't be more proud of the, the team and how they just responded through all the adversity that they went through all year. But my message to them is that keep doing what you're doing, but understand this. If you win the Super Bowl, everything that you've done leading to this moment, prior to this moment, in a couple of years prior, will it be immortalized forever. Think about when Zach Taylor was hired. Think about the game, that second-to-last game against the Miami Dolphins where you pretty much had to lose that game to clinch the number one overall pick to land Joe Burrow. Think about the times where the national media was saying Joe Burrow should not even come to Cincinnati. Think about the great debate in the offseason between if you're on Team Sewell or Team Chase. I was on Team Chase. And think about all of that, the doubt that everybody just wanted to just write off the Bengals before the season started, and now we're here, and people just can't believe it. All of that is going to be immortalized and polarizing forever. And when you think of the the dynasty teams from the past, whether it was the Cowboys of the 90s, the Patriots of the 2000s and 2010s, the 49ers of the 80s, it was always something that was very polarizing that really jump-started that dynasty. And ours can be like that as well, too. So get ready for a fun ride, Bengals fans, and to the Bengals team. You've earned it. We, we're here. We deserve this. Powerful, powerful message, Justin. How do people find you on social media? I am on Instagram at Juddy13, J-U-T-T-Y-1-3. Divisional Playoff Round. Cincinnati Bengals at Tennessee Titans. All right, so the Titans are the number one seed in the AFC, and they're a very good team. They're very well coached. As I said before, Mike Vrabel is up for coach of the year. They have Downing as the offensive coordinator. Shane Bowen is the defensive coordinator. He's, he also has longtime NFL defensive coordinator and head coach Jim Schwartz in the background there. So a pretty solid staff there that contributed to a number one ranking in the AFC. The Titans are 15th in points scored. They're 6th in points allowed. So they're doing their job on both sides of the ball. They're rested and healthy. They have Derrick Henry, who's one of the biggest threats in the game, coming back. So there's a lot to worry about with the Titans. We're going to have our hands full this game. So let's think about when we're on offense. Concerns? Their defense is number two against the run. It's a very strong defensive line and a very strong run defense. So that's going to limit your playbook a little bit if they're that successful against us. They have Jeffrey Simmons up front on the defensive line. He's an all-pro defensive tackle. They have Harold Landry, Bud Dupree, Autry coming off the edge. So they have some guys that can rush the passer. Their pass rush isn't their strength, but their run stuffing is, and it's a solid defensive line, as I said. You have Kevin Byard, who was a first-team all-pro as a safety. He's got five interceptions, so he's something you have to watch out for back there. Amani Hooker is the strong safety. He's also having a very good year, too. So we're going to have to be aware of where Kevin Byard is this whole game because he could be a game wrecker. He's my main concern when we're on offense. What do we do when we're on offense? I think you attack their linebackers. How do you do that? Some running back passes, some tight end work, maybe get it to your slot receiver over the middle, stuff like that, You know, maybe some draws. And then the other thing is their corners. They have great safeties. The corners aren't as great. You have Janoris Jenkins, you have Fulton, you have Molden in the slot. So they're a very beatable group. I'll take Chase, Higgins, and Boyd over those three. So without going into specific plays and styles of play, 
what we want to do very simply is attack the linebackers and unleash our three great receivers on those three cornerbacks and win that battle. We do that, we're going to score whenever we need to score in this game, regardless of how good they are against the run. And you can't totally give up on Mixon. You can't say, these guys are second against the run, so we're not going to hand off the ball. You need to have time of possession. You need to take some of the clock away. You need to keep Derrick Henry off the field. And Mixon can get going. That's something that I say. If you have a great player, even though you're going against a strength of the other team, it doesn't matter. Trust in your great player. I mean, that's what we did against the Ravens when we had Chase going up against Humphreys. So I'm not going to totally say keep mixing out of this game. Feed him the ball. We're going to need to. I told you the other two ways we're going to attack this defense. I think we're going to be just fine offensively. Concerns on defense? Derrick Henry. I mean, he's rested. If he's fully healthy and you know on his game, that's going to be a tough person to stop in this, and that could be a big game changer. You know, if we can't stop him, that's going to be a first down whenever they need one. And they're going to march down the field, and you get him near the goal line, that's going to be really hard to stop. So our main focus is going to have to be him. That is my biggest concern. Deontay Foreman's a nice one-two punch as well for them, so you're going to have to worry about their ground attack. And they have a very good offensive line, and they have a very good offensive line in run blocking especially. Those guys are all really highly rated. The center and the two guards are top-notch. The tackles are really strong too. Taylor Luan is the biggest name out of them, and when you look at it, he's probably playing the worst out of all five. So you have Luan, you have Roger Saffold, Ben Jones in the, as the center, who's the best of all of them, Nate Davis at the other guard having a great year, Questenberry as the other tackle, an excellent run blocker. So you have to worry about all those guys. It's going to be tough to get to Tannehill, especially if Hendrickson is not playing, and it's going to be very tough to stop the run with these guys opening up holes. So very big task on our hands in the run game when the Titans have the ball. Tannehill's an experienced vet. He can hurt you if he gets hot. He's got an 89-6 quarterback rating. Not the greatest year out of him. And we know he's not a top 10 quarterback. No disrespect. But he can still win a game for a team. And he did lead them to a bunch of wins this year. And then on the outside, A.J. Brown has come alive since he's come back into the lineup. He was injured for a while. He's a big threat. And Julio Jones, you know, a veteran, he's in and out of the lineup because he's hurt. Not really what he used to be, but he can still hurt you as well. So, you know, between the offensive line and Derrick Henry and Foreman, Tannehill doing the job, and then Brown and Julio, you got a pretty formidable offense. They don't throw the ball to the running backs a lot. The tight ends are pretty middle of the road, so you don't have to worry about a lot there. So with that said, defensive strategy. What I would do is I would have Awuzie shadow A.J. Brown and then just sell out to stop Derrick Henry. You know, you put in an extra linebacker, not an extra safety. Maybe you have some of the three linebacker looks. You know, we're hoping that the defensive line can stand up without Ogunjobi in there. So I think that's the secret. We're going to do the Bill Belichick method again. We're going to just have Awuzie shut down Brown or limit Brown and then all hands on deck to stop Derrick Henry. Special teams, they don't have any big-time returners, so that's not really a worry unless something fluke happens. You have Randy Bullock, who I don't trust to make a big field goal. I mean, he's consistent, but if it's a game winner from a, a deep distance, you know, maybe things will go our way there. And then Brett Kern is the punter. He's having a pretty middle-of-the-road year, so, you know, they're respectable. They're, their coverage teams are decent as well. But I don't worry about their special teams as being a game changer. I think we have the edge for this game. Prediction for the game? 
we score at will. I don't think scoring is going to be a problem. Unfortunately, I think stopping Derrick Henry is going to be a problem. So they're going to score their share of points. What happens? They get three touchdowns, two field goals. You know, a lot of productivity out of that offense. What happens? We get four touchdowns and an Evan McPherson field goal from 50. 31-27. Bengals win. Move on to the AFC Championship game. Nothing can stop us now. Here we go. AFC North champion. AFC champion. Super Bowl champion. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode will be a review of the game against the Titans and a preview of the AFC Championship game that will feature the Cincinnati Bengals. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.